I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick a topic and walk you through the ins, the outs, and the nitty-gritty so that you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is the Patterson-Gimlin film. What is the Patterson-Gimlin film? It's a 16mm movie shot by two rodeo workers in California in the 1960s. It showcases a bipedal creature that took America's imagination by storm, an ape-like monster that within the next decade would appear in TV shows, films, and inspire legions of people to dedicate their lives to searching for it, and numerous people to commit hoaxes in order to substantiate its existence. To this day, the Patterson-Gimlin film is the only piece of Bigfoot evidence that has not ever been officially debunked. Act 1. A cleverly worded and almost subtle X-Files reference. Looking at the way information was processed in the 1960s is almost like looking back at the Stone Age. Virality as a concept didn't exist. There were massive power structures, armies of people, and legal standards that had to be met in order to distribute information to the general public. Or you could just transform yourself into a carnival barker preaching on the street, but we'll get to that. By the 1960s, the standard of what type of story really gripped the American public was simple. It took a massive amount of human trauma and pain and conflict for an image or video to spread throughout the world. It took something extreme, unlike today where every other video of a cat playing a piano reaches 43 million people. I still don't believe that the cat playing piano exists. <laughs> Images of Vietnam War victims, celebrity nudity, or news that public officials had broken sacred oaths were consumed at a completely different rate than they are today. But that's not how the world works anymore. Humans have conditioned themselves to see a literal and metaphorical stream of information, and we're just fine with it. We've managed to develop constantly refreshing memory systems. We don't have to hang on to anything anymore, because there's always going to be something else right around the corner. This line of thought isn't meant to be nostalgic, the we had a better moral compass when screed. It's just the truth. It's not inherently good or bad. It's just the new status quo. The world is more interconnected. People are more interconnected. Today, we're bombarded with information, and our constitution of intake is just exponentially higher. If you tried to explain to someone in the 1960s that they would have to have not one, but up to five media accounts so that they could stay up to date with that kid from high school who they didn't even really like, but who now has four kids himself, and they secretly just want to be friends with him so they can feel good about their life choices, they'd probably be like, I have better things to do. Which, if we all stopped to think about it for two seconds, would be true. Only issue being, we don't have two seconds. There's more natural disasters to see, more unarmed black men being gunned down in the streets, more porn to watch, and more shitty food to look at pictures of on Instagram. Which brings us to the subject of this episode, the greatest American myth that, quite honestly, will probably never be solved, Bigfoot. Bigfoot is often referred to as a cryptid, which comes from the Greek kryptos, meaning hidden. You're probably thinking, right at the gate, this is just bullshit. There's no Bigfoot. Why are these guys doing this episode? This has been a hoax from the start. And maybe so. However, there's definitely something we can learn from how Bigfoot has been absorbed into our culture. So bear with us. And if you do think that, 
Have you not learned already from the four hour Andrew WK episode we did where you went into it thinking, oh, this is just a bullshit hoax. And then we fucking flipped the script on you. <laughs> Wouldn't it be amazing if this ep- this episode ends where we get just with have the an program interview? hypothetical straw man listener that Dave just created for this copy? No, dude, we're going to we're going to we're going to this is going to be a nine hour episode and the last six hours of it are going to be us interviewing actual big feats. Yeah, by the time we get to the end of it, we've we've actually proven that they exist. <laughs> and they're the first guests that uh, will agree to be on our show. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because Bigfoot's they're real all name na- is Matt. They're all, names, they're all named Matt. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the key. That's like the, the weird chaos magic formula that leads to Bigfoot being proven is that they all happen to be Matt. And the only people we can get onto our show are people named Matt. I'm struggling to think of more people named Matthew that are famous. Matthew Lillard. Oh, bro. Matthew Lillard would totally come on the show. For sure. I mean, I, I'm reject. I keep deleting his emails. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> and also, just for devil's advocate's sake, maybe the Bigfoot is real. In 2013, scientists discovered the Angulito, a small raccoon-like animal. In 1901, the Okapi, which is a fucked up looking cow zebra thing. And in 1869, which seems like a long time ago, but actually isn't, the giant panda. Oh, and you know, the mountain gorilla in 1902 and the Komodo fucking dragon in 1911. Those are all things that we just take for granted as always having existed. But the Komodo dragon literally was unknown until a few years before World War One. Those are all now animals that we just accept as being around for a long time. But still, they were roughly discovered in the past 100 years. And all these animals were discovered because of local folklore, because of the stories we tell each other, because of the intimate one-on-one narratives that people create, which ultimately have a much wider impact on the world than any of us would like to believe. Do you think that factors in at all to, I mean, there's a couple different things that are coalescing here. The reason why older people are a little bit more susceptible to buying into things on, you know, social media and chain emails and all these things. Part of that is just that there's some, I forget the name of, but there's some kind of sort of physical phenomena where like, when you're born surrounded by a certain technology, you are able to better like grasp it and acclimate to it more. And as opposed to somebody who isn't, who's sort of spent their formative years not exposed to it because it didn't exist or whatever. And they sort of struggle with for the rest of their lives, even even if they've spent a lot of time learning it, they struggle with wrapping their minds around it. But also, do you think that maybe there's something to the idea of there's just such a massive amount of information that we're exposed to on a constant basis that we sort of, as a natural defense mechanism, just have to be more discerning as opposed to previously pre-internet where there was just less information and it was delivered to you, you know, by the monoculture. So it's like everything that you saw, you kind of took for granted that it was true, which, you know, maybe that maybe that's why even even though people talk about distrusting the media and thinking that things are fake news, that is from a frame of reference of thinking that you're supposed to inherently believe everything that you see because you were born into a time when everything that was being shown to you was kind of generally accepted as true because there was so few pieces of information and it was all being delivered to you by these like monolithic information deliverers. Do you think I, do you think there's anything to that? that, that I, I've sort of just pieced that together now. I, I've never really thought about it that way. That's where this is going, yeah. I mean, I already knew that this was going to be a point that you agreed with. Like we've had conversations that are very similar to this. Sasquatch might be one of those stories, or maybe he already is. Most Native American tribes all had a different name for Sasquatch. 
they all had their own versions of the story. And to be honest, the idea of Bigfoot or Sasquatch or some missing link out of the forest is fun. It's cool to think about him as a connection to humanity's lost past. There are three distinctive events that led to Bigfoot's massive rise in popularity in the late 1960s and early 1970s, the first of which was Harrison Hot Springs. Harrison Hot Springs launched a Sasquatch hunt in 1957 because two years earlier, William Rowe, a local man, had come forward with a story about a beast. He claimed he had seen it and come face to face with it. This caused a big stir and spawned many Sasquatch hunts throughout the surrounding areas, which ultimately yielded nothing other than a media circus or mini media circus. Around the same time, Ray Wallace's construction sites began to be plagued by large footprints, which caused more local news organizations to cover the topic. People were scared. They were convinced that this legion of Sasquatches, Sasquatchai, not only existed, but were like roving bands of black bears finding their way into your backyard during a barbecue. They were coming into the cities. They were coming for your children. Here's big turning point number two. The local papers and the eventual national papers that picked up the story coined the term Bigfoot because of the massive, in air quotes, big footprints that were being discovered at Ray Wallace's construction sites. The creature now had a name and a sense of mystique. I just want to drill down to this in just a second. Like this is kind of big. The creation of Bigfoot is kind of the first meme in a lot of ways. Like, yes, it's an urban legend, which has a very distinct and separate lineage. And there are many examples and stories from, you know, First pe First Nations uh, uh, histories to, you know, Russian folklore to uh, the Yeti. Um, like there's he's been around for a long time, but and in various forms in various cultures globally. But in America, he really started as this weird meme that just kind of sprung up overnight in the, in the 1970s. And we're going to get into why he kind of materialized in the way that he did. Um, but it's really fascinating to me that something like this, that is a kind of pseudo mythological figure, urban legend, can be branded and have a very distilled set of characteristics to him that really did kind of set the blueprint for how memes are constructed in today's internet world. So now we just needed proof, real proof that Bigfoot existed, not just a random kook at a bar getting drunk and trying to convince you that he exists. And here's where we get the final thing, the final turning point, the infamous Patterson-Gimlin tape. 50 years ago, in 1967, two former rodeo cowboys shot something that would forever change the course of Bigfoot's presence in popular culture. Bob Gimlin and Roger Patterson met when they were both working as rodeo riders. They quickly became friends over a shared interest in, you guessed it, horses, and a similar sense of humor, despite Roger being significantly older than Bob. The two men were friends and co-workers for a few years and then lost touch, like many people do, until one day in 67, when they ran into each other at a local gas station in Yakima. They started chatting and the subject quickly turned to Bigfoot. Roger Patterson was obsessed with Bigfoot. Bob was initially dubious, but Roger's enthusiasm was infectious. A few weeks later, Roger showed up at Bob's doorstep, a light in his eyes. He had an idea. He had just read that Bigfoot sightings had been made in Northern California. Supposedly, a set of footprints had been found, possibly belonging to a family. I can only imagine what the dynamic was of that relationship and the lead in to their Bigfoot hunting, because Watching interviews with Bob, he does not seem like the type of person who has any interest in believing in mythical creatures. 
Like he is just a normal guy. I mean, as normal as you can be having participated in this huge fucking maybe hoax, maybe discovery of a mythical being. But he just seems like a normal fucking where is he from? That, that, that's the other thing is like they're, they're, this whole thing takes place in California, but they they sound like they're from Texas. Like, are they from? I think. Yeah, I think they're from somewhere over there. I, I don't. Roger's from somewhere else, though, I think because I think. I think Bob's from Yakima. I don't remember where. So oh, so he's a, he's he's northwestern. Yeah. Well, either way, he he is he is an he is a straight laced normal hillbilly. He who, he, who would, he legitimately he like he loves farming, raising horses, being outside. He's just a he's the type of guy that if you started talking about Bigfoot around him, he'd just be like, I I don't know what you're talking about, man. I'm just trying to have my coffee right now. Because when when this started, he was like 36 and Roger was like in his 50s or 60s. There's a big age difference between them, too, which is even weirder. Yeah, this dude is like the definition of basic. He is a basic bitch. Let's just say that. He is the he's, he's a, just he's just a different type of guy. I feel ni- bad shitting on. I'm not on, saying that in a negative way. There's nothing wrong with being basic. Like the it's it's just there is 100 percent an implied negative connotation to calling someone basic. Only Come if you're on. a pretentious hipster. Some people are are basic. And that's fine. I don't if you if you like Steven Spielberg. And <laughs> <laughs> if you if your favorite if your favorite director is Steven Spielberg and you shop at the Gap and you think that subway is really healthy good food that's fine the dude's basic and I, I, he's basic I, I am not saying that in a negative way i grew up in in eastern new mexico i know this guy a million times this is just this is my grandpa he's my grandpa i can only imagine the dynamic of this friendship that led to him convincing this guy to go bigfoot hunting with him i think you know, reading between the lines, it seems like he kind of, it seems like Bob thought that Roger was a kind of lonely dude and he kind of felt bad for him. And Roger was like, come on, just do this with me. I know you don't really care, but just do it with me. It'll be a fun weekend. It'll be a goofy thing that you've said you've done. And it's an excuse to ride horses around the forest for like four days. Come on, just, just drive with me up to Northern California. It'll be fun. It's that, it's that syllable and brains dynamic. It's just like, Come on, totally. come on, man. Like, we'll just pretend like we're Americans and fucking go and do these shows and and syllables just like, uh, yeah, uh, sure, I guess. Like, I just kind of want to work on an oil rig and have kids with my wife, but I'll pretend to be American for four years, I guess. 100%. Yeah. After some discussion, Bob was convinced to take a trailer, load up some horses, and travel up to Bluff Creek, California, where the two men would spend the weekend camping and riding around searching for, well, searching for Bigfoot. Bob says the two men would ride out every day, making larger and larger concentric circles, looking for any sight of the mythical creature. And what they discovered was this. And now we're going to watch the Patterson-Gimlin film. Have you you've seen this before, right? Have you have, have you seen course, this? Of course. You think I've you think I haven't seen this? You think I, I mean I I just thought you might be basic and not have seen it before. But there's cuz there's nothing wrong with being basic, right? Right? Seeing this is the is the Bigfoot version of basic. So, it's super handicam and then it, the 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 viewfinder kind of straightens out and we can see a bipedal man or what appears to be a man walking probably 200 feet away. Uh expeditiously into a tree line and mid arc of their walk they turn around and look at the cameraman 
for a, a good two seconds. I love how like in a huff he seems. The way that the way that Bigfoot is walking, it just he he has this he has this like sassy energy to him. Where he's like walking and then he looks over and he's like, what the fuck are you looking at? And then he, and then he like, I love I love the sassy energy that Bigfoot has in this video. So uh, the the frame that everybody refers to, like the one that's it's the, 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 the frame of film that really became a meme out of this is frame three, five, two, which is it's the one where he's turning around and let's like the peak, his gait or the the it's a really a her, but the gait of the creature and the head turn are extended in the, the widest arc. And um, you can get the clearest look at the creature's face. And you can also see that the creature has breasts, but it's kind of hard to tell from this original uncleaned up, you know, shaky cam fucking Blair Witch looking film. Bro, when you said frame 352, a surge of a combination of nostalgia and like good feelings and like emotion just like rushed up through my body because it was like seeing an old friend that you thought was dead for the first time in years. We've talked about this on previous episodes, but I've always been really into conspiracy theory, paranormal, cryptid, cryptozoology type stuff, obviously from growing up watching the X-Files and, you know, I, I used to, you know, was when I was a kid, I listened to Coast to Coast a lot and, you know, Art Bell is, you know, like a, like a hero growing up. And then with the advent of the internet came this whole other aspect of it, of reading all these weird internet mythology things and digging really deep into that. And I love that lone gunman aspect of it of just like that shared colloquial vocabulary when you're into conspiracy theories of like frame 352 the just coining that phrase and everybody being familiar with what that means and having this frame of reference this shared language about this thing that like to varying degrees you you know either fully believe in it or you don't really believe in it you just love the kayfabe of pretending like you believe in it and being immersed in it. I mean, Dan Aykroyd has talked about a lot because, you know, Dan Aykroyd is notably like really into paranormal shit. And Ghostbusters is all based on the fact that his dad was like a paranormal investigator. And the movie is based on all this crazy conspiracy paranormal shit that he was exposed to growing up. But he said in interviews a lot that his belief in it is more of a it's it's more of a like fun chaos magic thing he does. He doesn't necessarily really believe in it. He just it just makes his life more fun to immerse himself in that and believe in that and have it as this weird Santa Claus in his life or whatever. And I think a lot of people are like that. I'm definitely like that. Um, and some people genuinely do believe in it. But no matter what, for me at least, I've, talked, I've said this on previous episodes, but conspiracy theories have become tainted. They're not fun anymore. They're dark and scary and they have been adopted by bad people to spread scary things and so hearing you say that it just brought me back to a time before the world got dark yeah i agree i was obsessed with conspiracy theories and and bigfoot and loch ness monster and like when I was a kid, I, I there was a whole section in the in the library that I would go to, and the the two things I would always check out were Tintin comics and paranormal documentaries. Um, there's like there's like a really famous one with uh Jonathan Frakes where he hosts one which is all about UFOs, and the documentary purportedly has actual footage of 
a gray that they had at um, a gray interrogation that they had from Area 51. And they they got Rick Baker to come in and evaluate the footage and see if he thought the footage of the gray was real or if it was a puppet. And there's and then they have like a counter um, example where there's a, you know, a very beloved, famous UFO researcher who comes in and and they both kind of like debate over the footage and you know, as an adult, it's completely fake. Like it's 100% a puppet. But when I was nine, I was like, what the fuck? That looks so real. That's an alien. Dave, I, <laughs> I grew up in Roswell fucking New Mexico. That is my hometown that I grew up in. Have you been, have you been to the, have you been to the Roswell crash? Have you been over there? Of course. I mean, it's just, it's nothing. It's just, it's a field. Still, I, w- I would want to go. I would take a road trip with you just to go to that field. Yeah. Like, that would be my idea of a good time. The, the, uh, like hanging out in the alien museum, the UFO museum, downtown Roswell, like that, that's just a, like, you know, that's a thing that you can do. Like you, you just hang out there, go with friends. I was immersed in that shit. The fucking McDonald's is shaped like a UFO. The RB sign is like the hat with a UFO crashing into it. Yeah, but who would ever go to Arby's though? Me all the time. I feel so it's funny that I've defended Arby's like literally this is the third episode that I've defended Arby's. I don't even eat meat. I'm a vegetarian. They don't have vegetarian options at Arby's. Their slogan is literally we got the meats. But when I was a kid, I fucking loved Arby's. (laughs) So basically, you know, frame 352 is the is the defining characteristic of. Say it again. Say it again, Dave. Frame 352 is the defining characteristic of the Patterson-Gimlin tape. And the Bigfoot itself that's chronicled in the tape is referred to very quickly as Patty. I don't know why she gets the name Patty, but they just start referring to her as Patty. And now we're going to watch a stabilized, color-corrected version of the 16mm film, which provides a little bit better um, view of Miss Patty. I mean, that is just... Okay, so what are your what are your thoughts seeing it stabilized, Andrew? Does that look like a guy in a suit? Does that look like an actual Bigfoot? Well, I, the you know the 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 thing about it, I think the I think the reason why it's kind of a a perfect hoax is it definitely does look like a guy in a suit, but that kind of adds to it where it's like the the specific human like qualities of it, the 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 walking, the body language. That actually makes it feel more real because it's like, oh, it's like because the whole thing about Bigfoot is that he is like a missing link. He's like a he's like a in between stage between our primate ancestors and and us. So that almost weirdly like uncanny valley quality of it actually makes it feel more believable because it does look like a guy or it has the movement of a guy. And that almost kind of makes it, it almost sells it more. The, the, the two or three things that the characteristics that people point to as it not being a hoax are, um, one, the, uh, the breasts on the suit for the front of the, the creature. Um, certain people say that they, the breasts move and respond to gravity in the way that only flesh, only real mammary glands would. Which I don't know the the suit the, the 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 footage that I see in that I that doesn't seem right to me. But there are people who see that in there. I mean, I'll just I'll just go out on a limb and say I wasn't super focusing on the boobs of the of the Bigfoot. Ima- <laughs> imagine imagine the people who 
were like those breasts they 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 flow naturally with the with the gravity of like like a normal human breast would so that's that's one of them another one is that the way the foot bends when it leaves the ground is consistent with how gorilla's feet move again that was that was what quentin tarantino noticed <laughs> yeah and then the third aspect of it is that as the as Patty's hands extend, her fingers curl in almost like there's tendon in them that naturally makes them uh, tighter and looser as the arm extends and swings down, um, which normally when you're in a suit like that, there's like bunching up when your hand closes and it doesn't look as natural. So that's one of the key points that people point to it not being a person in a suit yeah i mean i will say either way you know if it's if it's real but if it's not real like you got to hand it to the person that though their walk is very interesting it's very unique and and uh there's something there's something to it that is like i said it, it has very human-like qualities like it, it the, the body language and the movement of it feels human but the specific walk that it's doing is like very distinct and unique and has this very specific character or X factor to it that once again just adds to the mystique of it. Yeah, it's really weird. It's definitely weird. So just to kind of like break down what happened leading up to the film and then after the film for the listener. Um, so they're camping out in these woods and every every day they're doing like a concentric, I think it was 40 miles in total and each day they did another 10 mile circle out looking for Bigfoot because there'd been three sets of tracks discovered in this area of woods. Um, um, what they thought was a mother and a father and then a, and a you know, like a teen Bigfoot. Um, so as they're riding around, I think it was on the third day, they round this kind of like bend and come up to this creek or as Bob Patterson would say, crick. He can't say it. He says crick. I've never heard the word creek said that many times in my life <laughs> in this single interview. And um, their horses immediately just start bucking and uh, Roger and Bob dismount off their horses instinctively because they can see something walking and they think it's a bear initially. Or Bob says he thought it was a bear initially. He pulls out a rifle in case the bear comes to them and then realizes, oh, fuck, that's not a bear. That's a goddamn Bigfoot. This time that while that's happening, Roger pulls out a camera from the saddlebag of his horse trips falls gets up starts filming or rather he he starts filming trips falls gets back up gets the shot of patty turning towards the viewer and then walking into the tree line and then he kind of like runs after the horse again or the he runs after patty again and trips and falls into a uh into like a little embankment by the creek um, and then stops filming. And they're both just kind of like sitting there shocked, like, what the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? Um, so they they rush back to the nearest town and they get the film uh, developed. And, and they're both just over the moon. They're like, this is fucking amazing. Like, what the fuck? We got footage of real Bigfoot. Like, this is crazy. Um, they get the footage developed and then they, they play it. And Bob's initial reaction is just like, this is, this is nothing. This isn't what we saw. Like, this looks like a guy in a suit. And Roger is just like, you're wrong. We've, we've found the holy grail. Like, 
like he he felt ex- completely the exact the opposite of what Bob the kind of like I don't know if anybody's going to look at this and think it's really Bigfoot. He was just certain that this is what it was going to have. This, he was certain this is it was going to uh, prove the existence of Bigfoot. I'll tell you one thing. If it was if it was the Mystery Treehouse investigation agency out there on the job, full Davy Bakes and Papa Pricey were out there, that Bigfoot would be in a zoo tomorrow. Well, so the question is, we'd Andrew, all you, we'd, be, we'd be wearing full Bigfoot coats. My sneakers would just be Bigfoot feet. Yes. Andrew, if you had a tape that proved the existence of Bigfoot, what would you do with it? Eat it. You would eat the tape? That knowledge could not get out to the common person. It would drive it would it would drive somebody with a weaker mind insane. Well, that is the exact opposite of what Roger Patterson decided to do. Uh if you're wondering, you know, if you've been sitting here this whole time and you're like, Yeah, I know this, yeah, I know that, I know Sasquatch, I know Bigfoot. Like I'm I'm aware of how, you know, the, the Patterson Gimlin tape, like I know. The aspect of this story I don't think most people really know is that Roger Patterson transformed himself into a carnival barker and set up a, a road show touring the country screening the Patterson Gimlin tape. And they would do a question and answer section. They would they had like a rehearsed speech where they would get up and talk about Patty, show the film, talk about Patty some more. Each of them kind of had rehearsed bits and then they would answer questions and people would pay to come see this. In all seriousness, uh, what what would you do? Because uh, joking aside, I don't know what I would do. I like especially pre-internet. What do you do with that? Would you just turn it into a a cash grab situation and try to make money off of it? I don't really know. I really I really don't know what I would do. I especially without the internet. With the internet, it's a completely different story. You put that shit on YouTube. Actually, you know what? I know exactly what I would do. I would assuming that it's not a hoax and that it's not just like put this fucking monkey suit on and walk over there billy joe or whatever if i really saw that and it was real and i saw it with my own two fucking eyes and it wasn't a hoax that i staged my entire rest of my life would become consumed with trying to find it again i mean that's kind of i would go i would go off the fucking deep end it's interesting because that seems like a very human response that was not roger patterson's response roger patterson's response was his idea of who he was his identity quickly became the guy who saw Bigfoot. He was like a weird cryptid paparazzi. He's like, he, I got it. I got the footage. Bigfoot can go fucking fall into a ravine for all I care. I got this footage. Yeah, and you know what? The the touring aspect of it, I've read different things about how successful it was in the beginning. Like, it's a little hard to ascertain, like, when they initially started doing it, was it just, like, four guys in, like, a Pentecostal tent, like, and then it grew? Or, like, what was it? It's hard to know what that response was originally. But at a certain point, they've been doing it for a little while and they get basically branded as crazy people. The prevailing opinion is oh, that's a guy in a monkey for, suit. Nostalgia for the day when somebody says something insane and made up with no basis in reality and the large portion of the public rejects it and says they're crazy. Ah, oh, feels good. Yeah. Make make America logical again. <laughs> But like he now nowadays, I can just go out there and tell people that you just started wearing hats two months ago. And it's it's now reality. Am I sexual? (laughs) Yeah. Am I wearing hats? Yeah. Am I everything you need? You better rock your Davy now. (laughs) Rock your Davy now. Yeah. Yeah. With some big foot. Yeah. yeah. Um, basically, 
it 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 Roger Patterson goes too big too too quick and he burns Bob Giblin out. Bob Giblin is like, I don't want to fucking do this anymore. The friendship between the two men starts to erode and and they start having all these arguments every other night in in podunk shit towns at in front of diners. He was watching too much Johnny Tsunami. He took yeah, he took pretty go, much. he took Go Big or Go Home too far. He went too big. Too he big. Sh- he should have he should have at least went to a hotel for a for us for a pit stop. Not not all the way home, but like stayed the night at a at a super eight or something before getting up and going big again. <laughs> So Bob, he he's deeply uncomfortable with the spotlight that he's being thrust into. Because um, he's really, a basic ass bitch, or you know, he's just a, a simple man who likes simple pleasures. That's just another way of saying basic bitch. That's a pre two thousand five. It's a kinder, more empathetic way of saying he's a basic bitch. I don't know, a simple man. That feels a little talking down your nose at him. I'm I'm at his level. L- listen. You're, a basic- You're calling him a bitch. You're calling him a basic bitch. <laughs> it's a term of endearment. That is not true. But basically, he 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 doesn't. He can't withstand the ridicule that these people are kind of hurling at him, and he doesn't understand the point of what this kind of road show is about. Um, but Roger didn't listen to him. Roger had plans. He wanted to sell their story to Hollywood. He wanted to make a media empire. He wanted to capture one and take it on tour like fucking king kong the syllable and brains of the 60s yeah um he he, you know he kind of thought of himself as like half pt barnum half craven the hunter big game guy and ultimately they just get in this knockdown drag out fight and bob leaves he feels like he needs to go back to his life like he has a job and he just needs to be working with horses and living the the quiet life that he was living before but roger was committed doggedly so nothing was going to stop him and it didn't and people started listening he started to gain fame and notoriety he appeared on a 1968 episode of the merv griffin show why did i write marrow friffin i don't <laughs> no, know it's it's marrow friffith which is marrow friffith. write that down that is, that's getting used in something yeah, uh, I don't. I don't think that was a typo on my part. I think that is a autocorrect uh, typo. But Marrow Friffith is pretty solid. You think you think that Google's out there autocorrecting Merv Griffith to Marrow Friffith? Uh, I think I type this on my iPad, and a lot of weird shit comes out of here. Marrow Friffith is a character that didn't even make it into the final cut of one of the Disney Star Wars movies. <laughs> yeah, for real. But like he, you know, he basically I, the point of this line being that he he starts gaining cultural weight in the late 60s. People start listening to him. He he makes this appearance on the Merv Griffith show. Whoever that is. And then in, in the in the early 70s, like 1971, he gets involved in this documentary called Bigfoot Man or Beast. Want to guess what that's about? We straight up need to live stream watch that. I completely agree. It is it is hilarious. I've never seen it. It feels like a industrial film. Like it feels like a government documentary. The tone of it, the the narrator, it feels like one of those old documentaries from the 70s. It's like the joys of visiting the Grand Canyon in Arizona. Look at little Johnny. He's riding a burro. It's like that, but it's about Bigfoot and it's heavily skewed towards Bigfoot is real. It's like a weird propaganda film about Bigfoot being real. And it seems fake. It seems like a mockumentary, but it's not. It's real. It's very funny. I love this. I love this. And I want to I want to do that. But this is the point in our story where things start getting really, really, really weird. 
This whole time, Patterson has been doing these roadshow screenings of the film and giving talks. And in order to make the story the strongest it could be, he literally hired an actor to play Bob Gimlin. Can I say it? I can't, I can't even imagine what that would be like. Can I say it? Yes. Yes, kayfabe, kayfabe, man. It's fucking kayfabe. I can't, I can't imagine what it would be like to be Bob Gimlin. This kind of just, he seems like a really nice kind of, I, I don't want to keep saying simple, but he's just so like, I just love riding horses. You know, around that time, I was just breaking them colts in on, on, on the ranch. Like just real kind of down to earth guy. You think what I, you think calling him a basic bitch was insensitive? I, I feel like calling him a basic bitch is definitely worse. <laughs> definitely. Hands down. I'm just saying, uh, if Bob Gimlin were here, he would be my friend and he would think that you were mean. That's what he would think. I highly disagree. I think that I think that by... <laughs> is this going to be a Clumpian Norbidian thing again? I, I think that by the next episode, we'd be hearing, I'm Andrew Price and I'm Bob Gimlin. <laughs> what are the deep cuts? I mean, it's it, it's possible he's still alive. He's 88 years old. He's still out there. We could interview him. I'm not. I'm. am t- talking about him getting on the other side of the microphone. What was that? I'm sorry. You're breaking up. I couldn't hear you from my cold dead hands. You're taking my co-hosting spot, you motherfucker. I mean, I don't know why you're complaining. I you're just an actor that I hired <laughs> months ago to replace. Well, I'm in character as Davy Bakes. I, he, my, I, I really feel like the character Dave Baker wants to be on the show. So that's why I'm petitioning to be on the show so much, because I feel like if he were to be removed from the show, he'd be really pissed, even though he was removed from the show around about the J.J. Arms episode um, because he was shot by J.J. Arms from a helicopter. Um, I'm I'm, you know, I'm Travis, the actor playing Dave Baker now. Yeah, he got really mad about that. Real mad. Yeah. I was surprised that his sniper rifle fit into his arm, though. I, I expected there to be like a hook hand style situation, not a full arm sniper rifle. Yeah. And it, like the way it, the way it like came out, like it, it was like a, it was like a spring loaded. Like how did that how did he get that in like that whole sniper rifle into his body like that? His body cavity. Yeah, I have no idea. This was the final straw for Bob. It was one thing to have Roger continually talking about him. It was another thing to have Roger hire someone else to be him. They had a massive falling out. They didn't see each other again until Roger's wife called Bob up one day and said, Roger, he wants to see you. Bob went to visit his old friend Roger, not knowing what to expect. The two men buried the hatchet, but it was too late. Roger was a shriveled husk of a man. He was dying. He gets sick. I couldn't figure out what he actually died of, but it was some sort of like, he's here today and then, oh my God, he's fucking sick and like not here tomorrow style situation. It's like, hmm, he, he, he developed a, a rare virus that you can only get from being exposed to horsehair and then hot glue. That's interesting. <laughs> Weird. He died of a disease that comes from storing giant gorilla costumes to <laughs> <when you> sleep. <laughs> I'm laughing even harder because that was just that was the next stage I was going to take it to. Like you 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 just finished the the bit that I was going to make, which I always laugh harder whenever somebody like takes a, an, a thought out of my head and says it before I can. As Bob was leaving, Roger said, Bob, I'm going to get better and we're going to go out there and catch one of these creatures. It's going to be great. You'll see. Roger Patterson was dead five hours later. Sure, man. We're going to get him. We're going to get Bigfoot. 
Throughout this whole affair, everyone had gotten paid. Everyone had made a lot of money off of Roger Patterson's touring Bigfoot show, except Bob Patterson. He was still just a ranch hand, and this festered inside of him. And yet, his story never changed. Here's a clip of him recounting the events from the early 2000s. I was backing Roger Patterson up all the time. Uh, while he had the camera up, working with it, I was riding back of him. It was a Saturday, sunshiny, bright fall day, October 20th, uh, to be exact. And it was just a warm, sunshiny day, and we were just riding up alongside the creek on the east side of the creek. And about four miles from where we were camped, uh, Roger was just riding, right, Roger was riding in front of me. Uh, I was leading the little pack horse. We were basically going out to camp uh, about 40 miles further out than we've been riding. We've been riding, making big circles every day. And so uh, we were going to go on out. So we had a pack horse with us, a small pack horse. And uh, when we were just riding up the creek uh, bed and Roger was taking pictures of the beautiful colors of the fall colors of, of the trees and the brush and all that. And all at once when we come around a bend in the, in the creek, there one stood across the creek from us. And of course, Roger's horse just went berserk. Well, mine did too, but I was able to stay on him because, uh, you know, I was a pretty good rider back and I was just, I was only 36 years old. So I was a pretty good rider and uh, I stayed on my horse and Roger finally, uh, he didn't get actually dumped off his horse, but he got a little help getting off and he grabbed the saddle bag cover, uh, one flap that he had it on there and unflapped it and got the camera out and started running across the creek, uh, taking the film, the picture. And he, he stumbled, it had a kind of a, up a bank on the fourth side and so Roger had his <clears throat> had the camera up to his eye, of course, and he kind of stumbled and fell down on his elbows. And he wasn't really sure if he got sand or whatever in the camera, because this is all happening really, really fast and excited. Had you guys gone up there looking for Bigfoot? Yes, trying to find more evidence. We were called down there with three different footprints, three different size of footprints around a piece of equipment. And uh, by the time we got, this was Labor Day weekend. And by the time I got down there, or we got down there, there'd been so many humans that come up and walked around and disturbed the tracks. Plus it rained also. And so there was no real good footprints for casts or anything. So that's why we kind of stayed and just started riding in big circles. Well, not really circles, just wherever we could go, you know. And we'd usually cover about 25 miles a day uh, of riding through the mountains and different, different locations. Uh, but uh, we, that's why we had decided to travel further way on back, a lot further back, and look for more evidence. Because we hadn't, we hadn't found anything in a month We'd been riding for a month and hadn't, hadn't located anything. Nobody has ever said the word crick 
as many times as he has. I also love the way that he said. Oh, yeah. He said it twice. So which leads me to believe that it really is like a colloquial uh, pronunciation as opposed to like he misspoke or something. He said, yeah, what, what, he, what said, he uh, said, let me get back to it. Was it by the way or yeah, it was like it was like it was by the way, but it was like the way he said he said yeah. by the way is the way. And he said it twice. Like he he said it and then he kind of repeated himself, which feels like I love it. That wasn't just him flubbing or whatever. Bob, I want to be your friend, bro. He look Bob Gimlin looks like Eric Roberts with the fake cowboy knob turned to eleven. <laughs> I love the fact too that he has a little pin on his uh Oh, yeah. Button up shirt. That's the silhouette of Patty walking. It's funny how you can go from uh, through the transformative process of not having money and also getting older and realizing that you want to carve out some kind of relevance for yourself before you die through that process. Somebody can go from I want nothing to do with this. I don't I just want to live my life and be on a horse and this all feels weird to me and I don't like the spotlight to being like, so there I was on my horse when I turned around and saw it, the Bigfoot. She was staring right into my eyes right there at the creek. She was on the other side of the creek. I was on the opposite side of the creek. I got off my horse and then the creek was still between us and then she started walking, but she wasn't in the creek. She was on the floor on the ground by the crick and I was on the other side of the crick but no matter what crick was in between us I definitely saw that Bigfoot crick <laughs> to put it simply the Bigfoot film ruined Bob Gimlin's life people associated him with just being a kook and Bob disowned Bigfoot not wanting anything to do with it ever again Thanks for listening to this episode. You should definitely go like the Facebook page for the Deep Cuts pod because we do lots of cool video content on there that you'll be sure to like. Also, please join our Facebook group. That's Deep Cuts Podcast on Facebook and the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. Also follow us on Instagram at Deep Cuts Pod. Act two, someone get James Patterson to write a book that Robert Pattinson can star in the movie adaptation of that can be called Roger Patterson, Man or Beast. And here's where things start to go full circle. In 2002, Ray Wallace, the purported construction company owner that discovered the Bigfoot tracks on his deathbed died and his family admitted that it was a hoax. No one actually ever remembers meeting William Rowe, the man who started the whole search for Bigfoot. It's more than likely that he never existed. And now, the piece de resistance, PAX TV's lie detector. In 2005, there was an episode where a man passed a lie detector test claiming that he was the man in the Patty suit. And welcome back to Lie Detector, everybody. The abominable snowman. The Loch Ness Monster. That's not monster. the right way to say it. I, mean, I hate this host. I mean, a gallery of scary creatures, but none compares to the legendary Bigfoot. Now, I don't know about you, but every time I see those creepy pictures of that Bigfoot walking across a grassy meadow, it always sends shivers up my back. Our next guest says he can ease our anxiety by eliminating at least one name from the Monster Hall of Fame. Why, you ask? Because he says he's Bigfoot. 
Legends like She's like the seem to have police captain or whatever the from where in the world is Carmen San Diego. The myth of the giant yeti exploded onto the scene in the late 1960s when he was filmed in a remote part of Northern California wearing a furry ape suit. Bob says it was hard work. He spent time perfecting the now infamous arm swinging, big stepping, bigfoot walk. And does that does that walk the look the same to you? Tiny slits in the scary looking mask. He says the suit was hot too. Layered De with heavy definitely, I mean, yeah, like the fur. Bob nearly fainted from the heat of the day. No sooner did the film of Bob hit the local news broadcast, the arm span the and the, the stride are not Big nearly foot, as a wide. Huge, hairy, bad-smelling creature thought by some to stomp around in the snow. Overnight, Bigfoot sightings were occurring, well, virtually everywhere. Bob could only laugh knowing that he was the real Bigfoot. Bob's finally going public, even though he knows that some folks still want to believe in the legend. Really, Bigfoot? are just a big liar. The lie detector is soon to find out. Bob, you're here today with a very unusual claim that you are actually Bigfoot. That's right. I don't think there are many people who have not seen that shadowy picture of this beast going through the woods looking back over his shoulder. And you're telling me that that wasn't they showed like the wrong that footage. For that. That yeah, they keep showing the wrong footage. Me in a costume in 1967 in the Roger Patterson Bigfoot film. Yes. How did this happen? Well, I wonder if there's like some weird thing where they just didn't have the license to actually use that footage, so they just use some other random shit. Make a suit or have a suit made. Have somebody wear it. They take a film of it and prove to the world that you know there was a real Bigfoot. Well, uh, I was a big, stout guy, you know, back then. And that's who they needed. They needed somebody they could trust and uh, asked me if I would do it for a thousand dollars. Thousand dollars a lot of money. A lot of money then. Yeah. So I, heck yeah, as long as it's illegal, I'll do it, you know. That's right. Because it's not against the law to run around the woods with a suit on them. So <laughs> I uh, agreed to do it. So uh, I met Roger up at his house. He lived about 15 miles above us up there. And, uh, I went up there and uh, tried the suit on. So yeah. it was a furry suit. It was, it was like a, a furry, gorilla suit. Yeah, it was a furry looking thing, yeah. And what was the head part like? How yeah. did you put it on? Uh, I put it on like a, like a football helmet. And um, I walked back and forth the way he wanted me to walk the, the Bigfoot walk. And, uh, he said, that's perfect. That's just what we want. So um, a week or two later, um, took off for California. The Bluff Creek Road where the film was made, uh, they had a camp set up there. And the next morning, we got up and uh, had some coffee or whatever. I don't know if we cooked up or what, but and they helped me into the suit. And uh, Roger told me to go over this certain place and stand. And when he yelled or gave me the signal to do the Bigfoot walk down through there. And what was the Bigfoot walk? How well, would you describe it? He he wanted me to look kind of like a gorilla, you know, swing your arms back, you know, and take long strides. And, uh, and then I had to turn and like, uh, you know, I'm, so I, said, I love how it just keeps cutting to the like same footage of him recreating the, the walk. Turn back to look at him. Well, no big deal. But I walked down through there. They said, uh, uh, "Cut, you know, that's it. That's enough." And uh, it was really, really hot that day in Northern California, and I was, uh, it was just sweat was just pouring off me in that thing, and I. I jumped down behind this, this big old tree bloater where I jumped in this big hole down there. I was afraid somebody was going to shoot me, you know, all this time going down through there. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, somebody might think you, you were the real thing and shoot you there. Anybody probably would if they saw it, but uh, 
I jumped down this hole anyway and said, get this, at least got the head and the stuff off, you know, so I could get a little bit of air. And uh, we got done, uh, you know, with the filming and uh, took the suit off and we went back down to the, the camp where, the, where they were camped. And uh, the next day I drove home and uh, I went up to the local water hole where all those guys hung out. And uh, I lifted the trunk up and I said, uh, take a look at this. I didn't tell them what it was. I said, just look at this and do not forget what this looks like. Well, two or three weeks later, up come the movie, you know, on the television, the film. I said, aha, uh -huh. that's what you were doing, you know. They brought my horse home the next day, I think it was, and uh, took the suit out of the car. That's the last I ever saw of that original Bigfoot suit. Why did you show the suit to those guys? Because I wanted them to know, you know, when they found out what it was, that I wasn't lying. But I really did do this. When you saw on that film the Bigfoot image that so many of us saw and so many of us believed, what were you thinking at home all those years when we were buying this hook, line, and sinker? I was hoping, well, maybe if I keep my mouth shut, someday they'll pay me the money. So did you ever feel guilty? No, no, because it wasn't illegal to do that, you know. But you tricked America. Uh, I was supposed to have been paid for wearing a suit in the woods, you know. I didn't care what they'd done with the suit, you know, or what they'd done with the film. But you never felt bad that here you were part of a hoax that would trick people like me into believing there was a swamp monster running around out there. No, it didn't bother me. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever think to yourself, now, y'all, this is wrong? Well, they, they, he was going to make money off this. He's, he had this pretty well planned out. Make money off hoaxing people. Money that's so patronizing. Y'all, 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 y'all. This here. lady is a robot. Made lots and lots of money off it. Yeah, that must anger you a lot, because you were used, basically. I was used, yes. It's over, it's done. Uh, I decided that people should know the truth, that that film was a hoax. What's the reaction been back at home? Uh, everybody's, you know, say it's about time you come out, you know, said, told them the truth. It's time for people to know the truth. Right. Right. Well, are you ready to face the lie detector? Yes, I am. Bigfoot Bob? Yes, I am. All right. Let's get you hooked up. There's three things from that. Number one, you know, we're, we're talking before about people crafting their own realities. If you, if you want to see an example of that, just look at the comments on this video because they're pretty wild. It's a lot of people basically going through all of these pro, all, all these rationalizations of like, they call into question the validity of lie detector tests. They call into question the validity of the show itself. A lot of people saying that the show is fake news that's designed as a propaganda tool to debunk things that are true that the government doesn't want people getting too close to or whatever. But also, I, I got I to gotta say, I, I almost I agree. There's a couple things about this. Number one, you know, they say that when people lie, they go into way too much detail about little insignificant things. And uh, this story is very detailed. I mean, he even it's like, yeah, we camped out in this camp at night and we you know, we slept there and we woke up in the morning and then we, we had coffee and we made some breakfast. And then we it's like, why would you say that? Who cares if you had coffee? in the 60s before you went and shot this Bigfoot movie. That seems strange to me. And also, another thing that doesn't ring true to me is that they offered to pay him $1,000. Like, that is a lot of money to pay some random guy to dress in a suit and walk 10 feet for a hoax video that you literally have no idea where it's going to go. Like, that's a pretty big investment at the time 
I feel like you could get literally anybody to do it for free. Like, can you just put this suit on and walk? Also, for context, in the in the late 60s or early 70s, um, $1,000 is a shitload of money. Like, I, I recently ha- was reading a letter that Tom Sutton had re- written to somebody about what the page rates were for Charlton Comics, and they, they paid artists $20 a page, which in 19... 19- 72 i think it was 20 dollars was equivalent of the inflation of to like 120 dollars today so 10 that's like ten thousand dollars basically to like walk across a fucking crick yeah well it it's it is the the modern day equivalent of six sixty one hundred dollars sixty two hundred dollars nuts the other thing about that his story that doesn't check out for me is uh i don't think bob gimlin knows i think my my the thing I think happened is Roger Patterson got this idea, befriended our boy, basic bitch, Bob Gimlin, and was like, Bob Gimlin is the sweetest, basic kindest, Bob. basic Bob, the sweetest, kindest and most gullible person I know. And I'm going to have him go up there with me and I'm going to orchestrate this whole thing. So Bob is the control group. Bob is going to think it's real. And I'm going to film it and Bob is going to be there to be the witness, but I'm not going to tell him what's happening. And I, I firmly believe that's what happened. I don't I don't for a second believe that fucking Bob Hieronymus was having fucking breakfast with them. Like, I don't I don't think so. Not at all. I was just sitting there looking at the crick and, you know, I was really I was really kind of fixating on that and kind of looking at this at the at this the current and just thinking man that's that is a nice beautiful crick and i i I must have sat there for three hours staring at that crick and next thing i know i look up across the crick there's a goddamn bigfoot (laughs) i think um i think the other the other aspect of this that is so interesting is that one of the reasons people say that it is real is because it looks better than the planet of the apes costumes which is kind of a convincing point to make um, except for the fact that I think it's funny that they what were you we just talking about earlier about Rick Baker. Yeah. The conspiracy theory video where he they brought him in and he's like, oh, yeah, that's 100 percent a puppet. Yeah. It's funny that they did that because in the documentary Man or Beast, they literally did the same thing where they had I forget his name, but they but they they consulted with a costume actor from the 70s, somebody who was like of that time, like a, like a Doug Jones of that time or, or an Andy Serkis or whatever, who would like play gorillas in movies. And they like consulted with him of like, is this a guy in a suit or whatever? And, and watching that, I thought it was funny. I was like, they're consulting just an actor who plays gorillas in movies. <laughs> like that's the expert witness that they have. Yeah. Um, um, another piece of this information or this story is that Soon after this all started happening, like in the 80s, the costume manufacturer Philip Morris came forward and said that he sold Roger Patterson the suit. All these Halloween costume manufacturers fucking behind every creation of like an iconic character. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes people just really want to believe. Sometimes believing is fun. Sometimes it's a rejection of facts. It's a rejection of the laws of the universe because living is hard and it's easier to live in a fantasy world where the truth is being concisely laid out for you. Let's look at things this way. In the 1960s, due in large part to the way information traveled and the relative level of skepticism that things were approached with, Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin were made laughingstocks, branded as conspiracy theorists and openly mocked. But after 50 years, the way that the world works has evolved. And in about 2008, a Russian scientist named Dmitry Banov 
who was consumed with researching the Russian snowman, the Russian equivalent of the Yeti, traveled to America to attend a convention with Bob Gimlin. Look at that crick, comrade. <laughs> Bob did the convention appearance and, to his surprise, was met with a loving public. If he creaks, he creaks. <laughs> who wanted to hear his stories and wanted his perspective on what was happening in the world. Now, is this a sweet and uplifting ending for Bob Gimlin? Is it better that when he, as an 88-year-old man, knows that there are people out there that believe in him and cherish him as a fixture in this cryptid culture who think that he's not crazy? Yes, for this single person, it's a good thing. However, for our culture, it's very much not. Old Basic Bob, the Stan Lee of the cryptid world. Bigfoot's acceptance into popular culture and the rising tide of people who are interested in conspiracy theories and claim to know the truth of things bode ill for the future of the nation and of the world. Bigfoot was, in many ways, the first viral sensation America interacted with, the proto-meme, and it's also a solemn forebearer of just how willfully ignorant people truly can be. Yeah, I mean, it's really, it's really interesting to draw the parallels between it because, you know, when you talk about memes or specifically internet things, you think about them very specifically as internet things or as the trappings of social media. And you think about them as very specifically coming into existence during the age of, of social media. But it's really interesting to think about it in those ways and kind of realize that all these trappings of social media, they're really not specifically internet things or social media things. They are another form of social constructs that have existed forever. And, you know, uh, you know, famously, as a lot of people know, like the, the term meme was created in the 80s by Richard Dawkins. And it was basically describing a, a repeating idea that spreads like a virus, which is have you, ever, have you ever seen that movie Pontypool? There's a Canadian horror movie called Pontypool, and it's about it's a zombie movie. Basically, it takes place in a radio station and it is about a virus that spreads through language. So if you hear somebody talking and they say certain words, the words can infect you and then you start repeating the words and then you can't stop the repeating the words and then you eventually just become a, a zombie essentially. And it's that idea of, you know, uh, the, the thinly veiled sort of social commentary of the movie is just that it's this idea of like ideas spreading like viruses, you know, what whatever it is, bigotry, misinformation, these things spread, you know, very much like viruses because human beings are susceptible to those kind of things. We're very social creatures and we're, you know, very flawed in how we kind of want to believe everything that we hear. We're not very good at discerning facts from fiction. If somebody tells us something, we want to take it at face value. And, you know, that's essentially what a meme is. It's, it's any kind of information that spreads repetitively from person to person. And a literal internet meme is just another form of that. And it's interesting to look at Bigfoot and, and think of it as a meme and think of it as something, you know, that spreads as an idea in a similar way to how internet memes spread. And it also, you know, that idea of the iterative nature of it, that different t different areas of the world and different cultures like have some version of what that is. So, you know, the the abominable snowman, Sasquatch, Bigfoot, and it's all kind of like similar versions of the same thing, the same idea. You know, that kind of reminds me of a copy pasta, which is, you know, you take this 
chunk of text that is a story or an idea or whatever it happens to be. And then it gets basically copied and pasted throughout the Internet on different message boards and social media sites or whatever. And, it, and it's basically spreading some kind of idea or spreading a joke or spreading a satire or something like that. And that's what that reminds me of, of, of this slightly altered, iterative version of an idea existing in different cultures. All this to say that as we're going to talk about and as as we build to this sort of thesis statement, social media hasn't invented these things. It's merely amplified them to a degree that I don't think that human beings are equipped to process or handle. So imagine, as we'll sort of say later, you know, imagine Bigfoot existing in the age of social media and with all that we know about the way that misinformation is spread and sort of the post-truth direction that society has started to go in and the fact that people can sort of craft their own realities and they, there's enough people in the world and they can connect with enough people in the world that those realities can kind of become truth to them. And there's really nothing that you can really do to dismantle that. Imagining Bigfoot existing in a modern context like that, then you transition into something like Slenderman, which is another cryptid that, had, that has come into existence, but which came into existence in the age of the internet, where it wasn't just a bunch of fringe weirdos and grifters believing in this weird thing and this weird relationship between people creating hoaxes to make money and then people wanting to buy into it because they're dissatisfied with the realities of their life or whatever. That magnified to the huge scale of social media, then you have millions of people coming together in these communities. The echo chamber is reinforcing these beliefs in people because, you know, when you say something, when you make up something and you say it out loud, the likelihood of you believing it is probably pretty low. But when you say something and somebody else is like, yeah, that's fucking true. I know it. I Yes, you're right. Then you're like, oh, shit, maybe this is true. Maybe this is real. Huh? And then, you, and then you say it back to them and it's just ping pong back and forth process until finally at the end of it, you guys are fucking radicalized. Bigfoot is fucking real motherfucker. And Slenderman is like that. And as we've seen, it literally caused somebody to try to kill somebody. Virality has evolved quite a bit since the days of the Patterson-Gimlin horse ride. It's effortless now. A few properly placed copy bars and an interesting camera angle, and you can ensnare millions of people into viewing your cleverly edited content. It's fairly safe to say that if it wasn't for Roger Patterson's initial goal, his unique brand of sideshow hucksterism has undoubtedly won the day. It's interesting how Bigfoot, or at least Bigfoot as it sort of existed in this context that this hoax was born out of was created by you know this 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 what was the guy's name the construction site guy uh ray wallace ray wallace and this the other hoax the william whatever william Rowe. i guess apparently he didn't exist or yeah william Rowe basically was like a tourism publicity stunt where there was like this small town who claimed that a guy william Rowe, saw a bigfoot so they organized Bigfoot hunting parties in order to get people to come there and spend money. Yeah. So, so it was created for the specific purpose. It was created for this isolated incident of this tourism publicity stunt. And I'm assuming the other guy was doing it because he wanted to bring attention to his company or something. I don't really know why Ray Wallace did it. I think he just did it because he thought it was funny. I think. I mean, why does, why did anybody, why does anybody, like, there's so many people in Arizona who have done the Bigfoot hoax of like footprints where it's just like, Bro, it's the desert. Where do you think the Bigfoots are hiding? There's no cricks. There's no cricks in Arizona, bro. There's no cricks. There is zero cricks. Where's the cricks? I'm going to Oregon. 
what's interesting about that either way whether he whether he was doing it to like weirdly bring publicity to his construction company or he was doing it because it was, it was funny is isolated incidents of somebody who does something for one purpose not thinking about anything outside of that and then somebody else comes along and you know picks up the baton and takes that and brings it into some whole other context so you know th- these people who have planted a seed unintentionally it's like if you buried something because you wanted to get rid of it but you didn't realize that in burying it you were actually planting it and it was going to grow into this whole other thing through somebody taking this thing that you've canonized this idea basically it's that thing we're talking about it's the thing we've talked about it's the thing we talked about earlier the idea virus what a meme is the the pool movie you've accidentally planted an idea that was literally just created in this isolated moment for a particular end something you wanted to do in that moment so you kind of flippantly throughout this thing somebody else takes that and then grows it takes it to the next stage makes it into a canonized concept amongst everybody and then other people then take it and they grow it even further into a lifestyle a belief system like imagine doing some stupid practical joke and then in 10 years it's a fucking religion basically not only does that reinforce the idea of what a meme is but it reminds me of all these modern things all of these modern memes and you know like QAnon it's literally like that. QAnon was a bunch of Star Trek trolls on 4chan and 8chan just riffing speculative reality fiction or whatever whatever the term is for it. There's a, there's a term where you basically just riff narrative storytelling that intermingles with reality. And amongst that community, they all know that it's not real. They all know that it's storytelling. But then it jumped out of that community, lost its context, and then a whole fucking legion of dummies who are starved for a narrative to buy into that could give them this moral superiority over a sect of the population who currently in that moment was essentially winning the the culture war. I mean, just call it what it is liberals were currently in this cultural revolution where they were going through this mass reassessment of the status quo of of society and saying, hey, you can't say that. You shouldn't say that. That's wrong. That's hurtful. You can't do that. You can't do that. Hey, those guys are terrible. They've been doing these horrible things for years. That comedian you love, he's a piece of shit and he did these horrible crimes. And these people who don't agree with this, and yet they are, from their perspective, being strong-armed to buy into this thing that they don't agree with and they don't think is right. And they're just like, God, like, what the fuck? How do we get the upper hand again? And this thing was delivered to them on a golden platter of like, they're all pedophiles. And so they latched onto it and grew it into a fucking massive thing that's like real now. But it all started with these Star Trek nerds like riffing fiction, writing fictional blog posts. And now it's turned into, once again, kind of a religion, a legitimate movement of people. I think there's an interesting parallel specifically in the fact that like both of these things come from a negative place. Like I think that there's memes themselves are they don't have an author. They don't have any sense of actual positive or negative moral value to them. They're they're just kind of these weird little building blocks of Internet culture. 
and having no authorship is specifically a key to it. I I, I talked about on the that on the Shags episode that nobody quite knows who got the Shags kind of back into the zeitgeist and who had started the seed of positioning them as these uh, outsider artist geniuses. And that's how a meme fundamentally works. It has to be stripped of its authorship in order to be effective. If it was one specific person that you knew it came from, then that human element taints the experiment and then it, it introduces doubt into it. Maybe that one single person is lying or whatever, but if it just came from the ether, then you, you can't disprove it. And you also, and I, I think I think that's important in this conversation specifically because both of these conspiracy theories, they start from a negative place and then they become something else, right? I mean, I guess QAnon is still negative, but you know what I mean. Like it, it the, the Bigfoot trajectory arc is there's this thing that's kind of sort of bubbling up in the zeitgeist and then you know uh because the world has now we're 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 out of the the seven stages of global grief from world war ii right we're we're we're, we've got our shit back together you know and then as the 60s start to come in the world is changing rapidly things are moving and and people they want this idea of a world that is bigger than the one we have and that's where you get things like you know, the space race and you get things like um, civil rights movement and, and it, it manifests in all these different ways and that people are, they're slowly starting to, you know, there's calls for increased accountability. There's calls for um, dismantling of racist systemic institutions. There's, in a lot of ways, it, there's parallels to what's happening today. Um, and that's that because there was no internet, this idea of Bigfoot took on this mimetic reality by this single guy shoving it down everyone's subconscious and like forcing it into the the global ecosystem as a means to try and make money, which he did. Um, and so it starts with Roger Patterson really just being like, I'm going to take this fucking thing and turn it into fact, God damn it. And from there, it evolves into Bigfoot being on the six million dollar man, um, you know, Chewbacca fucking basically being a Bigfoot guy like it you know all of these different versions of Bigfoot showing up everywhere because everyone's kind of aware of this thing sort of but not really and you don't you know it's it's outsider culture that mainstream culture is milking in order to seem relevant in some way like Bigfoot on the six million dollar man is the equivalent of like you know uh fucking Don Johnson being like hey guys I'm cool dank memes or whatever today you know like it's the old guard attempting to remain relevant by being like the ninos love the big feats you know why chewbacca was so sad though why there are no cricks in space i'm dave i'm I'm joking i'm joking i'm joking i'm joking but that would that would be a perfect place to end the episode this a similar thing happens today where there are these people on the internet who see the kind of gullible nature of a lot of internet users in the same way that Roger Patterson was like, these motherfuckers are gullible out here. I'm going to convince them that there's an ape man in the forest and I'm going to take their money. These people have never even heard of cricks. And in in many ways, we are Bob Gimlin. All of us are Bob Gimlin. We're the unwitting witness because we are substantiating all of these conspiracy theories by just existing on the internet with everybody else that believes. So there's this weird kind of, this weird kind of like silent witness. So because these, 
these conspiracy theories grow on the dark corners of the internet where people are doing them ironically or maliciously or they're purposefully trying to troll people and pull the wool over their eyes. And then it goes one step in where there's people of our generation who start sharing that information either ironically or because they don't know any better. And then it reaches the older generations and those people just have no context for the other two steps. So they just think it's fact. I've always focused on the idea that Gen Xers and and boomers, like they just believe things and are just more susceptible to like believing things and being gullible and just seeing a meme and believing it because they just don't understand how the internet works. They just, they lack the technological comprehension to even realize that, you know, my parents on the internet, they're more likely to just see a meme and just be like, oh, that's true. That is a true piece of information. I'm not even going to think about it for a second because they just don't even have the conception that there is somebody out there who would sit down and Photoshop a lie to try to get them to believe it. Like they just don't even know that. Whereas that is the basis from which I interpret any piece of information I see. Somebody posted something in our, in our Facebook group and my, my knee jerk reaction was to spend like 30 minutes researching it and, f- and finding out whether it was valid or not. So are you saying that you do your own research? Yes, but I actually do my own research as opposed to that fake like gaslight catchphrase that people have adopted, um, which is not actually telling you to do your own research. It is just somebody saying what I'm saying is true. And the reason why you don't agree with it is because you are dumb. I think there's also there's a do your own research is a specific patina of people who self-select information that confirms their own worldview. And so do your own research means go out and it really is shorthand for go out and find sources that can substantiate the thing you already believe, not go out looking for something to change your mind. It's this weird, like, anti-knowledge statement. Yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily that. It's just that they they have sought out information that confirms their biases, but they are unself-aware of that. So they think that they have gone out and, you know, absorbed all of this information and, and collected all of this research and pared it down into an ideal. But they don't realize that all of this, quote-unquote, research that they've done is just a bunch of stuff in an echo chamber of what they already thought. Yep, completely. Um, but yeah, I've, I've always thought about it like that. But I, I, I guess I'm now I'm thinking like, oh, there's also this element of like, and this is another thing. We're, we're, we're getting off on a, on a tangent and there's certainly other episodes where we're going to talk about this way more in depth. But another aspect of it, the reason why people believe in, buy into these conspiracy theories and things is because I personally think this is, this is, this is a philosophy that I've sort of been developing over the last several months. Um, I personally think the reason why people buy into conspiracy theories is because they were not properly taught in school or just in their own practical lives. They never were taught or learned how to independently research things. In their world, you watch the news or read a newspaper and that's where you get your information from. That is the be all end all. That's where it, that's, that's just it. There's nothing beyond that. Where else does information come from? That's, it just comes from the news. And so in a world where information only comes from the news, from quote unquote mainstream media, and then you are disillusioned from that, the only alternative is whatever the opposite of what is being said by the news is, because they don't even realize that there are ways to independently research things. They have no conception of that process. They just think you watch the news and that's where the information comes from. But what if the news is lying to you? 
then you just have to go listen to the people who are telling you that the news is lying to you and then just believe what they're saying. It's just it's like a weird binary thing where it's like it's either or either you listen to the news or you listen to the people saying that the news is lying to you and they don't even know that you can do this third thing, which is fucking find it out yourself, explaining to somebody that you can go and look at scientific journals and read raw data that has been compiled by different think tanks and different laboratories and cross reference all those things and come to your own consensus. Like I don't even know you can do that. This thing is supposed to be where the information comes from, but they're lying. So this person that's telling me that they're lying is knows the truth. How they know the truth, I don't know. Where are they fucking getting the information from? Just they see things differently or whatever. And in that regard, now what I'm thinking as we're talking about this episode is that part of it is just that there was so comparatively so so much less information being disseminated and being sort of shoved in their face. And it was all coming from one specific authority figure that was supposed to be the be all end all. So they just don't know how to be discerning because that's their only way of life that they know. And the, that middle step, people like you and me who look, could I reply to every single one of my family members who posts some dumb shit on the Internet? Yeah. Do I? No, I don't want to do that. I've got shit to do. And and so in, in some ways it turns us into these. This, this witness that never is Greek chorus that's completely silent. And that's kind of the issue, too, because it's like in a pre-internet world or a pre-social media world, everybody is inundated with their community. You exist within a specific community that exists in a specific geographic location. You have a radius to your influence. And it's a it's a way less intimidating radius of influence. We all have these radiuses around us. And within those walls, if somebody you knew was walking around going like, Tom Hanks is a pedophile, you could just be like, no, he's not. And here's why or whatever. Here's this information. I'm going to explain it to you. And number one, in person, it, it's a lot harder to be a contrarian when you're, when you're talking to someone face to face. But also you have a lot more energy to reach the people that are within your radius of influence. And everybody is doing that. So that's the way that that's kept in check. But you can't do that when it's on the Internet. Your radiance of influence is literally everybody in the world and not no one single person can possibly invest the time and energy into dismantling all of those arguments that you see coming at you from all facets, like all of the people posting it on sharing that stuff on Facebook, all the people sharing the stuff in all these Facebook groups, the people sharing that stuff on these message boards, the people, you know, you just you cannot go through one by one and address every single one of those those points that that pop up in your in your, uh, you know, ecosystem. And so in in reaction to that, we all just don't. So nobody is keeping anybody in check anymore. And in that vacuum of you know, fucking logical people with common sense being like, that's fucking bullshit. They've just run amok and built a society around it. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's really depressing on one level. It's fast. It was fascinating to have that realization the other day where I was just like, oh, Bigfoot is the first meme. Oh, fuck. And that's basically just QAnon for the 70s. Fuck. And then I wrote this in like a day. I think I even texted you and was just like, uh, I know it's not our plan, but I'm, I'm writing a thing about Bigfoot. And you were like, uh, OK, <laughs> I, I don't think that happened. I think I mean, <laughs> I, li- yes, it was. Yes, it was. You were just like, uh, if you want to. <laughs> I do not think that happened. I mean, I, we got the receipts. That's true. We do. We do. We do. 
Uh, but I'm pretty sure that you were just like, that sounds weird, but all right, fuck it, whatever. I really don't think that was my reaction. If anything, I literally just said sounds good or something. Yeah, it, it was. I'm, I'm playing it up for comedy. It wasn't that, uh, that dismissive. Um, but in my head, cause sometimes you'll just reply like, yup. And sometimes it's like an excited yup. And sometimes it's like, yup. I mean, if everything was special, then nothing would be special. Excuse me, do you know who I am? I'm like a giant, bright, burning star of charisma and happiness. What would your life be without me? What would it be? It's the worst thing you've ever said. <laughs> you know that it's true. You know that it's true. You just can't admit it. You can't. Uh, did, so, so did you believe in Bigfoot? Uh, I don't know that if I, I don't know if I really believed, believed, but I liked, it's, it's exactly your experience where I liked I liked the kind of agnostic, you know, maybe he's out there somewhere. I liked the, I liked doing the research. I liked watching the documentaries. I liked, I liked kind of exploring that world, you know, like I. Yeah, it's a very, it's really interesting, nuanced space to sit in where you almost purposely don't allow yourself to intellectualize it. Now you kind of have to, like when somebody is going around saying that like there's a cabal of pedophiles like you have to intellectualize that you have to be like no we're going to talk about reality right now but with something like bigfoot or cryptids or any of this stuff paranormal or or extraterrestrial uh cryptozoology or conspiracy theory you kind of like there's like i said there's people that really believe uh you know people who have died for their fucking fringe beliefs like bill cooper uh but a lot of people probably most people back then at least you almost like purposely allow yourself not to intellectualize it. Like you, you, you live a life, you live your life as if you do believe it, but you don't actually believe it. It's almost like you're cosplaying a belief system. Yeah. I, yeah. I kind of, I was like that kind of in high school where I really got into nine 11 truther stuff and, uh, and, uh, moon landing fakings. And, and this was also kind of like around the time that YouTube was really exploding. And so there are all of these like breakdowns and footage deconstructions and homemade DIY documentaries about the, how the moon landing was faked. Yeah. What's it called? Uh, loose pennies or something? Loose change. Loose, loose change. change. Yeah. Yeah. Loose, loose change is like the quintessential 9-11 truth or documentary. Um, and it's, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I ever really truly believed it or if i was just really into the idea of believing it or if i was not believing it at all i think it kind of depends on when you would have asked me i think there were a period where i was kind of like i don't know there's some stuff in here i was also like fucking 15 so you know um but I, yeah it, it's the the process of researching all of that stuff was we actually pulled a clip of a recording of dave from that's actually how he sounded that was a real recording of him yeah saying yeah, yeah. i don't know there's some stuff in here yeah, it, it's it's very interesting to me, and I feel exactly the same way that you do in that conspiracy theories used to be really fun for me and used to kind of be calling it a safe space has a specific connotation that is not prescribed to this at all. But it was, a you know, it was just like a little like pocket thing that I could dump into every X amount of months and just be like, oh, I'm just going to learn a lot about how reptilians run the country or whatever. Oh, I'm going to learn a lot about the Illuminati. This is cool. Ooh, Freemasons. Interesting. Conspiracy theories used to be Alex Jones ranting in Waking Life, but now conspiracy theories are Alex Jones now. Yeah, conspiracy theories are just sad and alone, and you know they haven't been touched in years, and they're trying to sell you literal snake oil and, like, 
hair loss pills. They've literally admitted in a court of law that they are a fictional satirical character, and yet they still command a religious-like uh, following of people who believe everything that they say as literal truth. Yeah, it's really terrifying. Yeah. Fuck Alex Jones, man. Ugh, just fuck that. The whole shit about him. I don't even want to get into it. Alex Jones makes me so sad. Um, but yeah, Bob Gimlin's still alive. If you're into it, he'll be probably coming to a UFO convention in a city near you. Because that's what he does now. Just hangs out and goes to big feats and UFO conventions. Listen, I'll come to your city. I'll talk at your fancy little convention. I'll say whatever you need me to say. I'll talk about I'll talk about Bigfoot. I'll talk about every little detail of the experience. But I need three things. I need a place to sleep. I need a brand spanking new bolo tie. And I need to know where the nearest crick is. I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. This has been Deep Cuts. You can find me online at heydavebaker.com. Andrew, where can they find you? You can find me just covered in glue and horse hair trudging through the fucking forest looking for the nearest crick and you can also find me at dapricerights.com where you can find my comic deadbolt ai private eye crick Cuts is a production by Boy Genius Media. If you'd like to find this show and others like it, please visit boygeniusmedia.com or deepcutspod.com. If you want to join in on post-episode discussions, please join the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. Finally, subscribe to our YouTube channel for additional video content. The incidental music for this episode was created by D. Catalano, whose music can be found at wekeepoddhours.bandcamp.com and Dad Beats. You can listen to his podcast, Food Fight, a food discussion podcast, Anywhere you get your podcasts. And Pseudocide, whose new album, Don't Let Them See You Bleed, is out now. And you can listen by checking the link in the description or by typing in bit.ly.com slash pseudocide. bit.ly.com slash p-s-e-u-d-o-c-i-d-e. And The Dead Boy Detectives, who 